0: In 2013, a splinter faction of NASA engineers had the bizarre idea to build a helicopter and send it to Mars, attached to the belly of the Mars 2020
1: rover. Not everybody loved the idea. There were more than a handful of people who would be very happy to just get this stupid distraction off the rover, you know, it's, it's a nuisance.
2: <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of skeptics within the engineering community at large Today the skeptics have become cheerleaders.
0: Today, NASA is designing more Mars helicopters, bigger ones, better ones. This may be the most amazing Cinderella story in space engineering history. I'm David Poe, and this is Unsung Science.
3: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Season 2,
0: Episode 5. The Mars Helicopter That Would Not Die. In July 2020, NASA sent a helicopter to Mars. You'd be forgiven for having some questions about that line. First of all, NASA made a helicopter? Second of all, For Mars? I mean, how? And why? I mean, a helicopter's propellers work by spinning through the air, right? But how are they supposed to work on Mars where there's practically no air at all? There's an atmosphere, but it's really thin.
2: The density is 1% that of Earth's. It's such a tiny fraction when it comes to, to air density. And now you have to think, okay, the rotor blades, as they're spinning, there's almost nothing right? How on Earth, how on Mars, could they spin <laughs> fast enough uh, to actually produce enough upwards lift force, right? It sounds impossible. And it is almost impossible.
0: Meet Teddy Zenetos, NASA's Mars
2: helicopter team lead. To stand any sort of chance of doing that, right, there's kind of the three hallmarks of, of a Mars helicopter. One is it's got to be very, very light. So you got to be very light, You have to have large rotor blades, right? The larger you are, the more air you can push off of against. And you need to spin those blades very, very quickly. We're spinning at around 2,800 revolutions per minute, right? Incredibly fast. Whereas helicopters here on Earth, they're, you know, uh, around 500 and higher. But they are hundreds of RPM. But on Mars, you need to spin that much faster.
0: So the thin atmosphere
2: made it harder to fly. Yep. But presumably the lesser gravity helped you to fly. It's a bad trade. Oh, you, you are correct. <laughs> it, it, you are correct, but it's a bad trade overall. So it's, it's about one third the gravity of Earth, right? So you, all of us could jump higher. We could probably uh, stand a good chance of dunking on Mars if we could hold our breath long enough. But uh, it's a bad trade overall because of how difficult 1% the density makes flying.
0: Okay, so that's the how. But how about why? NASA already has a rover and it's already got a rocket. So what value does the chopper add?
4: So first, if you allow me to state the obvious, we as human beings have never flown in the atmosphere of Mars, right? So this is like the Wright Brothers equivalent, right, on Mars. This would be the very first flight.
0: This is Mimi Ong, who is the project manager for the helicopter. I met her in 2018 while the chopper was still under construction. I was working on a CBS Sunday morning story about plans to get to Mars there
4: are two major um, important uh, contributions from adding the aerial dimension. The first is forward reconnaissance. So having a helicopter go kilometers ahead of a rover and see where you're going will make tremendous contributions for rovers. And the second part is there are parts of Mars that we simply cannot get to with rovers or even when humans get there. For example, sites of very steep cliffs, very steep volcanoes, You would need an aerial platform that can take you there to get close up to those targets.
0: So that was the original sales pitch. If this test works, then someday a helicopter could serve as a scout. It could look ahead to see if this mountain or that crater is even worth the rover driving to, so we don't waste our time puttering over to a dead end. We were having this conversation at the Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, California, better known as JPL. Because everything at NASA winds up with a TLA. You know, a three-letter acronym. Anyway, JPL is NASA's robotic spacecraft facility. It's also where the Mars helicopter story begins. In 2013, JPL's then-director Charles Alachi
1: saw a talk. There was a presentation about what was then the hot new thing about drones. And um, he came back to the lab and he said, like, hey, can we do this on Mars?
0: Bob Balram is the helicopter's designer and chief engineer. He and a small team put together a proposal for this helicopter idea.
1: Very few people thought it was a good idea. Every stage of the game, you know, we could always have been canceled at any step, right? Any little misstep. There are dimensions to this which are not just, can it fly? It's not just an aircraft flying on Mars. It also happens to be a spacecraft. So everything that goes with the space business, uh, vibration testing, shock testing, radiation, temperature extremes, that was a much bigger add-on than just the fundamental feasibility of can you spin something fast enough to have it generate lift? Like You don't want to be this thing that breaks apart and damages the main rover. You don't want to be this thing that has batteries exploding. You don't want to be this embarrassment that uh, goes there and fizzles. So the scientists hated us in the beginning. They were upset because we were taking away precious time from their science campaign. I think if we had failed somewhere along the way, it would have been a footnote, and they I'd have been perfectly happy.
0: But Balaram pacified the doubters by reassuring them that the project would be small and limited. The helicopter would fly five times tops, within a period of 30 days max. And after five flights, end of project. NASA's focus would fully return to the rover's primary mission, digging up samples, and looking for signs of ancient life.
1: And then you guys can get on the minute. There's not going to be this mission creep where it's going to be one more flight, one more flight.
0: So the helicopter idea got some funding and a small staff. It was classified as a technology demo, a NASA category meaning tech ideas that may one day become useful to our main missions, but for now are just experiments. Here's how Teddy Zanettos explains it.
2: We do not have mission-critical goals that we must execute, like the rover, for example, right? For the Perseverance rover, its goal is to collect samples so that the next mission can bring samples back to Earth. That must succeed. Ingenuity did not need to succeed.
0: To manage the project, Balram teamed up with our friend
2: Mimi Ong.
1: Mimi Ong is a force of nature that no programmatic, financial, political thing could withstand, right? And she (laughs) was... um, you know, the sharp point of the spear that was just able to push through all the obstacles.
0: Mimi Ong taught me what a balancing act it is to create a Mars copter. I mean, you're limited in its size to what can fit underneath the rover because that's how the chopper was going to get to Mars. The limited space limited the size of the propellers to about four feet long. And that meant that this thing couldn't be designed like regular consumer drones with four propellers at the corners. There just wasn't room. The propellers would be stacked one above the other. Mimi Ong walked me through the design in JPL's kind of noisy facility. I would imagine that it's a very fine line you're walking, right? I mean, you could put a bigger battery in there, but that would make it heavier, too heavy to fly. So you could make the wings smaller, but that would make it not powerful enough to fly, you know? You nailed it! This is the ultimate exercise in system engineering. Was there ever anyone who said, forget it, Mimi, we're not, <laughs> we're not gonna walk that tightrope. It's not gonna work. So yes, there were difficult moments, more than moments. <laughs> when you add it all up with that amount of power, that amount of weight, this amount of, of rotor span, what's the total flight time and flight distance in flight altitude. So this particular
4: helicopter
0: is uh, designed now to fly up to 90 seconds. 90 seconds? $23 million for a drone that can fly 90 seconds? It doesn't sound like very much. We'll come back to my reaction there. Let's just say it was not my finest moment as a forward-looking journalist.
4: So it sounds modest, as you say, but it's an extraordinarily important uh, demonstration. Look, this is the first time ever that we're flying on another planet, flying a helicopter on another planet, outside of our own Earth's atmosphere, okay? And that, I don't think you can put a price on that, because uh, basically this forms the basis of the fundamental principles of flying in very thin air.
0: Now, this helicopter doesn't look like a helicopter. A chopper that carries people is horizontal, with a tail, This machine looks more like the Apollo Lunar Module, but with two propellers on top. It's 19 inches tall, all vertically stacked components. At the top, there's a rectangular solar panel. Below it are the two stacked propellers. They rotate in opposite directions, for the same reason that a traditional helicopter has a rotor on the tail, to prevent the torque from making the body of the helicopter spin around. And you cannot believe how light these propellers are. So I want you to hold that. Oh my gosh, it's like a dead leaf. I mean, I'm not kidding. This thing, I could blow this thing like a Kleenex. That's amazing. And that's strong
4: enough? Yes. So it had to be built for strength as well as for the stiffness and the lightweight. So when we talk about having to fit in a four-pound bag, it is not an exaggeration
0: these blades are not just made of carbon fiber, which already has one of the best strength-to-weight ratios known to man. It's hollow carbon fiber. There's foam inside to make it even lighter. Then, below the propellers, a cube known as the fuselage. And so, what all is in that box? So, camera, electronics, batteries?
4: Mm-hmm. So, if you open, take out the outer shell of it, you will see uh, circuit boards surrounding a battery pack.
0: Okay, okay. And that's an ingenious design decision. It gets bitterly cold at night on Mars. So NASA assembled the circuit boards around the battery because a battery gives off heat. The hope was that it could keep the circuitry warm at night.
4: And there are uh, two cameras that are on there. It's a sight-looking uh, color camera to take images of the terrain. Mm-hmm. But on the bottom, it's a black and white camera for navigation. And then we have landing gears, which are lakes, again, designed to be strong, but light, and with some play, you know, for landing.
0: Nice, I'll take two. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Part of what makes this chopper project so complicated, by the way, is that you can't control its flight in real time. It takes anywhere from 20 minutes to four hours for a signal from Earth to reach Mars, depending on the planet's positions. So you can't be like, what's up for that mountain? It's oh, not, not like absolutely that. absolutely
4: not. No, no, definitely not a real-time control of or joysticking of any source is possible simply due to the distance between Earth and Mars.
0: Instead, the plan was for NASA to pre-script each helicopter flight on Earth and then transmit those instructions well in advance. But to me, the scariest aspect of building a Mars helicopter on Earth must have been that it's a one-off. It's not based on any previous design. There isn't a series of them that NASA could steadily improve. And there's no spare. And you're going to send this machine on a 300 million mile journey to a place where you'll never be able to touch it again? No repairs, no spare parts, no shelter, no adjustments? To make matters worse, you have to do all your testing here on Earth where the atmosphere, temperatures, solar patterns, and gravity are all different from Mars. So you know what NASA did? They used their space simulator. It's a massive cylindrical stainless steel chamber, 25 feet across and 85 feet high. It's got an enormous door, 15 by 25 feet, big enough to accommodate the various spacecraft prototypes that NASA has tested inside there, since 1961, when the thing was built. I asked Teddy Zanettos about it. How close can the chamber
2: come to simulating Mars? Pretty close. What it provides us is the ability to suck the air out, and you can carefully add just the amount of air that you want to match the density or the pressure at Mars. So that takes care of one part of the equation, is, is the air density.
0: What he's calling air, by the way, is basically carbon
2: dioxide. CO2
0: is 95% of the Mars atmosphere.
2: Second part is the temperature. Around the perimeter along the inside edge are all of these fins that run the entire height of the chamber. Those fins can carry inside of them liquid uh, nitrogen to chill the chamber down, right? So that takes care of the second part of feeling like Mars, right? So so the, a third part is the solar actual energy that's reaching your solar panels. This chamber has a set of large, powerful bulbs outside of the chamber. You can beam down onto your spacecraft whatever sort of energy that you want. So you could simulate doing a near nearby pass the sun, and you can dial in that energy to match and test your solar panels, test your recharge capability. But you can't do gravity. You hit the nail on the head. You can't do gravity. We don't. We don't have an anti-gravity system figured out. <coughs> the closest thing that we were able to think up was a gravity offload system, right? And and it's a fancy name for effectively what is a pulley with a bunch of fishing line it rolled around it, attached to a motor and a torque sensor so this was at the top of the chamber so we brought the fishing line all the way down to the helicopter and we had a little we had a little islet and we we tied a very secure and very well reviewed knot a series of knots
0: i almost named this episode a very well reviewed knot i mean they've got this helicopter which eventually cost 80 million dollars hanging from a piece of fishing line i guess you really would check that knot carefully
2: it's like you have the best engineers on the planet here debating not strategy, right, on a fishing line, right? It sounds cliche, but the entire project was hanging on the thread of a string at some point, right? If that not failed, the helicopter would fall, hit the ground, and be destroyed. In any case, the fishing line was designed to pull gently
0: upward on the helicopter, continuously, always exactly enough to subtract two-thirds of its weight as it flies around. Because Mars gravity is about one third Earth gravity, I guess you can't use the uh, the swimming pools that the
2: astronauts use. That <laughs> that would have been a little tough. That would have been a little tough on the electronics.
0: Now, if I learned anything from the movie The Martian, it's that you have to watch out for windstorms on Mars. Just ask Matt Damon's character. Angry with the rover. So JPL rigged the testing chamber to generate its own wind, too. They bought a bunch of computer fans, the ones inside PCs, about 900 of them, and arrayed them in a giant wall of 25-mile-an-hour wind. But not because they were worried about windstorms knocking things over, like in
2: The Martian. I love the movie. A big fan of the movie, but most films about dust storms tend to overplay it. You know, it made for a great film. But you got to keep in mind, the air density is 1%. So even if you have fast gusts, fast gusts of very thin air is not imparting a lot of momentum, right? If you have very thin air, you're not going to have a lot of momentum, you know, transfer when the wind hits you. That just means that we're not worried about being tipped over. Wind is a big concern when it comes to flying. We do care about winds, you know, from a stability or controls perspective.
0: By early 2020, the Mars helicopter was flying well in the test chamber. Noisily, but well. And it now had a name. As is its custom, NASA opened up a naming contest to American school students, and the winner was 17-year-old Venisa Rupani.
4: Ingenuity represents the most remarkable things that humanity is capable of.
0: Ingenuity is a great name, but what if we learned about NASA? That's right. They shorten all terminology. So Ingenuity soon had a nickname, Ginny. Another kid's essay won naming rights to the rover. Perseverance. Want to guess its nickname? Yep, Percy. Finally, on July 30, 2020, everything was ready. The Mars 2020 mission lifted off. It was like a set of Russian nesting dolls. The helicopter was nestled beneath the rover, which itself was inside a landing jetpack, which was packed into a landing capsule which was stored at the top of an Atlas V rocket. Engine ignition, two, one, zero. And liftoff. Somehow, the Mars helicopter had made it past the bean counters and the skeptics, the physics problems and the political ones. One executive joked that the helicopter should have been called Perseverance. I think that this much of the story has been pretty cool. But it's nothing compared to what happened after Ingenuity reached Mars. Up next, the part where Ingenuity's flying blew everyone away. The part where it got frozen to death 200 times. The part of the three miracles. The part you'll hear after the ads.
4: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Last time you heard from me, the Perseverance rover was lifting off for its seven-month journey to Mars. And it had a stowaway, the first helicopter ever to leave the Earth. It was bolted to the belly of the rover on its side, protected by a cover that, once you take it off, Looks kind of like a guitar case with the lid missing. The whole package arrived at Mars going 12,000 miles an hour. How NASA got from that speed to setting the rover down on Mars gently without stirring up any dust that would have gotten on its cameras is a story in itself and an episode of Unsung Science in itself from last season. (laughs) Parachute Opens. And the jetpack's eight engines light up. The rover drops out of the jetpack on its nylon ropes.
4: Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance, safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life.
0: That was February 18, 2021. It took a month for the rover to wake up, get its bearings, and undergo testing before NASA was ready to drop Ingenuity. The first step was kicking off the debris shield, that guitar case thing, on March 21. Here's integration lead Farah Alibey giving a press conference.
4: And what you're looking at here is the debris shield on the ground. But what's the coolest thing is you can see uh, ingenuity there all tucked in below the rover, doing okay. Everything is
0: all in place. The rover, with the helicopter still underneath, spent a couple of days driving to the spot that NASA had picked out for the copter drop. And then when we
4: get there, we're going to go through a series of steps to get the helicopter from its current horizontal position, all the way to being vertical and then being dropped
0: on the ground. Finally, the bottom of the helicopter was allowed to swing down 90 degrees into an upright position. The connecting bolt blew off with a small explosive, and Ginny dropped a couple of inches to the ground. At this point, the rover drove 100 yards away, leaving the copter alone and shivering. Now it was time for Ingenuity's first big test. No, not zooming off into the ruddy Mars sky, according to Teddy Zanettos. The first big challenge...
2: ...is surviving the first night, okay? Mars is so cold that the sheer problem of just, hey, keep enough heat in the system and, and make sure you have enough energy in your battery tanks to warm the battery overnight, right, is a huge, was a huge challenge. It still is a huge challenge.
0: During the day, summertime on Mars is nice in the 60s or 70s Fahrenheit. But at night, oh boy, we're talking negative 130. And those temperature swings are a big problem for delicate
2: machinery. Every time you thermal cycle, every time you heat something up and then cool it down, everything expands and then contracts, expands and contracts. And just like if you were to take a a metal spoon and bend it back and forth, you do that five, 10, 30 times, eventually it'll snap. Think of now all the electrical joints inside of Ingenuity expanding and contracting, expanding and contracting, right? And that that kind of gets to the core of, of one of these big milestones is surviving the night.
0: And we, we all know that, you know, electric car batteries, cell phone batteries, they all are horrible
2: in the cold. Exactly. So what do we do is we conserve as much as we can. Throughout the night, we would use a little bit of the battery energy to keep that temperature at around negative 20. And then once sunrise happens, then the SOC starts climbing again.
0: SOC, that's state of charge, meaning how full the battery is. All told, two-thirds of Ingenuity's battery power goes to keeping the thing warm at night. Only one-third is actually used for flying. Anyway, Ginny did survive the first night, and the first two months of nights. Finally, on April 19, it was ready to take its first flight. The plan was to spin the rotors up to over 2,500 RPM, fast enough to lift the whole machine slowly, majestically, into the sky. Well, okay, slowly, majestically, 10 feet off the ground. And there, it was supposed to hover for a magnificent 39 seconds, take a couple of pictures, and then land. The thing is, at this point, Mars was so far away from the Earth that it would take any messages from the helicopter about four hours to arrive. So for four hours after the flight was over, the NASA team had no idea whether or not its $80 million drone had even flown. For all they knew, it was a pile of twisted metal in the dust.
2: Earlier today, the helicopter flew. As it was flying and after landed, it transferred its data to the base station. When it shows up, our team can take that data and decode it and see what happened during the flight.
0: This is how the live YouTube broadcast went from JPL as Mimi Ong, Teddy Zanettos, Bob Balram, and the team waited for the news from Mars.
2: We're moments away from receiving that all important data, and the anticipation is definitely building in the room. This is Downlink. We are beginning to fetch data from Mars 2020, the flight control, and reporting having performed spin up, takeoff, climb, hover. Descent, landing, touchdown, and spin down.
0: Confirmed that Infinity has performed its first flight, the first flight of a powered aircraft on another planet. That data was pretty cool, but not as cool as what showed up next a picture.
2: out on the screen is showing us hovering above the surface of Mars. How incredible. <laughs> the onboard navigation camera points straight down, so we're seeing a shadow right now. I can just hear Mimi in the background. This is real. This is real. It's so amazing. <laughs> we're going to wait for the Perseverance rover image of us. That would
0: be a photo taken by the rover of the helicopter in flight. Yeah. It was actually a bunch of frames, kind of like a GIF, a jerky little movie of the first flight. And that was the first time a human-made aircraft had ever flown under its own power on a distant world. On flight number two, three days later, Ginny went a little higher, 16 feet, and flew sideways for the first time, seven feet out, then seven feet back to the start. Flawless. Flight number three, four and a half miles an hour, 328 feet. Flight number four, 887 feet. This time, another first. The rover's microphones recorded the sound of the helicopter. Flight number five, Ingenuity flew to a new landing spot for the first time, 430 feet away. Clearly, something spectacular was happening. There'd been a couple of little glitches, which NASA fixed with software upgrades. But otherwise, this thing was performing like a champ. Didn't crash, didn't fall over, survived the frigid Mars nights. The skeptics around Bob Balram had begun to soften.
1: In those five flights, we proved our merit. We proved our worth, right? And that's when things started changing, right? And that's when the scientists said, oh, this thing actually works. Oh, those images are pretty darn cool. We can actually you know, infer some geology from them and we can decide whether to send the rover.
0: One scientist who'd publicly slammed the helicopter as a waste of time and money actually approached Balaram at JPL.
1: He was uh, man enough to just say, you know, you guys proved me wrong. Ingenuity's mission was to fly
0: five times and then shut up forever, go off and crash somewhere. But suddenly that seemed like a waste. In fact, Scientists wondered if maybe Ingenuity could do some real scouting for the rover. They wanted to know if a region called Seta would be worth rovering over to. Answering that question would mean flying Ginny much faster and farther than ever before.
1: It was a calculated risk on my part because my take on it was if we succeeded in that flight, that would seal the science case once and for all. And we did that. We did that long flight. We went across the region of Seta, and we did the forward scouting for them. Once the, the scientists saw those images, they were completely on our side. You know? And then they started asking us to go here, go there. We kept succeeding, so they couldn't get rid of us.
0: Suddenly, this little black sheep technology demo found its classification upgraded to an operational demo. And its 30-day lease on life was upgraded, too. Now the project was extended seven months To at least September 2021, it was going to participate in the actual mission of
2: exploring Mars. There was an area called Ray's Ridges that the rover team was potentially interested in exploring, but they weren't quite sure. Uh, And we flew out there, we took some images, and we found out, no, it wasn't as interesting as, as they thought it was. That's a win. That's time saved from the rover. Flight 13, we were able to fly around uh, an outcrop called Fayafu and generate a three, beautiful three-dimensional map uh, that you can look up online and you can zoom around in, in three dimensions. Little Ginny was no longer a freak, an orphan, a nuisance. Now we're for real, right? Now we have a real mission objectives and the stakes are much higher.
0: For Ingenuity, it was a miracle. The first of three. Ingenuity kept flying through the summer, getting better and doing more. On flight 12, it flew for nearly three minutes, so much for that 90-second thing. On flight 18, it flew farther and faster than ever before, almost half a mile at 12.3 miles an hour. Throughout these flights, Ginny sent a steady stream of photos back to Earth, of craters, of deltas, of the parachute and other landing gear from Mars 2020 itself the team kept improving its software with updates. For example, to allow it to fly higher, to let it change speed in mid-flight, and to understand the terrain below it better. Now remember, NASA had designed the helicopter to survive for only 30 SOLs. A SOL, S-O-L, is one Mars day. See, a Mars day is about 24 and a half hours, so we can't really use the word day We'd get that confused with Earth days. So the word is sol. As the May sols flowed into the warmer sols of June, warmer weather just made it easier
2: for Ingenuity to stay warm. We would charge during the morning, and then, hey, we'd be at 100% state of charge by uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Great. As the mission progressed, uh, we went into the summer. Things got even better in the summer. We had excess energy. we, We call it leaving energy on the panel. But everybody knew it couldn't last. No one designed for winter ops on Mars. She was designed to operate in spring and nowhere outside. In winter, the sun is lower in the sky, which means less light falling
0: onto the solar panel. And on Mars, there's more dust in the atmosphere in winter,
2: which also means less sunlight hitting the panel. So we're not charging as much, and because it's colder, we're using more energy to stay at the same temperature. Right. And we knew that we were going to run into a problem here where we might reach our limit. Uh, and on Sol 426, uh, we hit that limit. Uh, we went to sleep on Sol 426 uh, with about 70% uh, state of charge in, in, in our battery. It was so cold that night, and we were burning energy, burning energy, burning energy, and at the battery, drained all the way to zero. We stopped heating ourselves in the Ingenuity mission on Sol 427. We tried talking to her, and she didn't reply.
0: So that was it. The copter was unresponsive and frozen. After a spectacular 427 Mars days and 28 flights, little Ingenuity was dead. And yet, I promised you that there would be three miracles to this story. And after the ad break, I'll deliver Before the break, I was telling you about the end of the Mars helicopter mission. The little chopper that could had flown for months past its planned lifespan, but the frigid Mars winter did it in. The batteries died, the electronics froze, and NASA on Earth got no response from the circuitry. So did you do any, like, little micro morning, like, well, that's it, it was a good run, or are you trained not to
2: get emotionally Mm -hmm. involved? There's always that question in the back of your mind, you know, did we get to the end of the mission? There's a part of you that's always emotionally prepared in the background, right, to, to call it. Okay, let's assess, let's analyze, let's find out what happened, let's see what we can learn from it.
0: For the next three days, the team threw themselves into studying what
2: went wrong. Pulling up the schematics, pulling up the designs, and trying to come up with any explanation, any reasonable explanation that we could to explain what was happening.
0: You know how in movies... There's that trope where the hero starts frantically giving CPR to revive his best friend who's been shot, but the hero is so overcome with grief that he keeps CPRing way too long, way past the point where everyone else realizes that the buddy is dead.
4: Come on, Jack! Come on. Jack! Jack! He's Come not! On. Jack, stop! He's not! Come
0: here. It was kind of like that. The comms team spent day after day frantically sending commands to their baby on Mars, desperately hoping for a response. And then, on the third day, they got one! Ingenuity responded. Somehow it was alive and taking commands again.
2: We wiggled our blades, we did a high-speed spin just to confirm that everything was still healthy.
0: It was the most incredible thing. And eventually they figured out what was happening. Each night, Ingenuity really was freezing. The battery really was dead. So there was no longer anything to keep the electronics warm. But each morning, the solar panel started collecting energy, and Ingenuity thawed out.
2: What was happening is that every morning, it was like Groundhog Day, uh, the sun would rise, (laughs) she'd have 0% of state of charge in her batteries. But by pure luck, or pure design brilliance, Ingenuity has
0: a little circuit that directs the first trickle of energy to the battery.
1: Bob Balran calls it the Lazarus circuit. There's a piece of circuitry that we call the Lazarus circuits, which um, divert the solar power to first warm up the battery and thaw it out. And when the battery gets to about minus minus thirty degrees Fahrenheit, roughly, it then starts charging up the battery. So basically there is a piece of Old-fashioned electronics, you know, from no digital, no computer, no nothing, that uh, brings the helicopter back from the dead every single morning.
0: Once the battery is warm enough, it begins to charge, and the electronics come to life. So why hadn't Ingenuity been responding to the pings from Earth? Because each night when it died of cold, its clock got reset to zero. So when NASA sent its morning commands at the usual time, the helicopter didn't know it was time to listen.
2: And that's what was happening, is that Ingenuity was waking up later on in the afternoon. She was waiting, in, you know, for commands, as if nothing had ever changed, right? It was just another day. Uh, it just happened to be later on in the afternoon than usual.
0: Once the team on Earth realized that, they tried reworking the timing of the commands.
2: We
1: catch the helicopter at that time, talk to it, set the clock, and then during the rest of the day, where it's still warm, we then schedule a flight for or any other activity for late in the afternoon. And it does its job, goes into the night thinking it's going to get through the night. But we know, we know that around midnight or something, it's going to die. And then it comes back up to life every single morning.
0: Ingenuity continued freezing to death every night and rising from the dead in the morning through the entire Mars winter. As I record this in January 2023, the helicopter has been deep frozen and then thawed out about 180 times. And now, spring is breaking on Mars. The weather's beginning to warm up. And in the next few weeks, if all goes well, Ingenuity will return to its original heating patterns. And through all of it, Jeannie never stopped flying. This chopper will not die. It was Ingenuity's second miracle. But as promised, there is a third one. This technology demo, this dark horse, this waste of money, has a third act. See, the primary mission of the Perseverance rover is collecting samples of dirt and rocks and to put them into airtight tubes. But collecting the samples is only number one of three missions that will get those samples back to Earth. Number two, possibly launching in 2028 is called Mars SRL, the sample retrieval lander. That is, a spaceship that will land on the surface
1: of Mars. The perseverance will trundle up to the lander, present the samples to a little robot arm on the lander, which will carefully take those tubes and stick them in a canister that will then be mounted into the uh, Mars ascent vehicle. And then, you know, the Mars ascent vehicle eventually takes off.
0: And Mars mission number three will be a ship in Mars orbit that intercepts those samples and flies them back to Earth. But with a project this big and expensive and complicated, it's really scary to have it all lie on the shoulders of the Perseverance rover. I mean, it's a fantastic rover, and it's been performing beautifully. But by 2028, it will have been driving around in the rocks and the dust for eight years. And any number of things could have gone wrong. NASA needed a backup plan for getting those sample tubes onto the lander. And can you guess what the backup plan is? Two more
1: helicopters. So what's being designed right now is the a variant of Ingenuity that has the capability to do this. Then it would have effectively a claw or an arm that would grab one tube at a time. So we are basically adding on four wheels and a small robot arm to Ingenuity the Ingenuity design, and we'll have two of those for redundancy. They're called Sample Recovery Helicopters, SRH. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I tend to think of them as SARA. So if Ingenuity (laughs) was Gini, uh, we're going to have two SARAs on Mars uh, helping.
0: Even the SARAs aren't the end of the Mars chopper line. Balram is also working on a much bigger copter, capable of carrying 10 pounds of science equipment into the air. It's currently called the Mars Science Helicopter.
1: The JPL is interested in saying, like, how do we scale it up? OK, and let's see what such a system design might look like. And I was leading a team that did that study and continued to do that study. It would look effectively like a hexacopter with effectively each of the six blades looking roughly the same size as an Ingenuity uh, blade diameter.
0: So three miracles. The first miracle was that the Ingenuity helicopter, once mocked, cursed, and dismissed as a nuisance, wound up outliving its five-flight, 30-day mandate and became an essential part of the Mars 2020 mission. I mean, I was the idiot who said to Mimi Ong, 90 seconds? $23 million for a drone that can fly 90 seconds? It doesn't sound like very much. I played that recording for Bob Balram. He was cool about it.
1: That's okay. You, you, you can join the line, a long line of people who are skeptics.
0: The second miracle was that Ingenuity refused to die, even when Mars froze it every single night for hundreds of nights. And the third miracle is that Ingenuity now has descendants. Two will go to Mars on the sample retrieval project and could wind up saving the whole three-mission, multi-multi-billion-dollar arc and a big helicopter with six giant rotors could become a primary vehicle on a future mission. As for Ingenuity herself, she is still flying. She survived two dust storms and one brutal, bitterly cold winter. And she is still flying. And still breaking her own records. On December 3rd, 2022, she flew 46 feet off the ground and nobody can see any reason why she'll ever stop. Is there any hard death day for ingenuity? Like no. some, you're, some you're, consumable that will.
2: No, your, your guess is, and, and I, I'm very serious when I say this, your guess is as good as mine. Um, we're well outside of the manufacturer's original warranty window, right? That 30 soles really was the design point. But I'm very happy to say that our batteries are extremely healthy, our solar panels are doing well. Our motors are still performing uh, extremely well. Our compute system still performing just fine as it was on the first day. So there is no hard date. There is no key consumable. But when that day does come, and and it will come, uh, we're going to have a massive party.
1: If we had failed, no big deal. It would have been a footnote. You know, we'd have been saying, oh, yeah, they tried to fly a helicopter and it got two feet above the ground and tipped over and crashed. Uh, You know, and then maybe the the social media would have had a field day for a few days, and then they would have gone on to the next thing. This may
0: be a good time to reveal the secret of Ingenuity's ballast. A
1: little Bob Balram Easter egg. When we were building Ingenuity, I wanted to have some kind of token of appreciation, a talisman, paying homage to the pioneers who came before.
0: He had learned that it was possible to buy a piece of cloth from the wing of the first airplane that ever flew on Earth the Wright brothers, Wright Flyer.
1: Apparently, the Wright brothers were, you know, they were uh, auctioning pieces of fabric from the first flyer to raise money. Uh, you know, fundraising never goes away uh, in, in this business. <laughs> and so, um, so we got a piece of the fabric and we basically cut out a small piece, you know, a half inch by half inch kind of swap. And that's wrapped up in some tape and tied to a little cable bundle under the solar panel. I had my engineers won to secrecy. And so that same piece of fabric uh, flew about a half a dozen times on, in Kitty Hawk. So it flew five times there, and it's flown uh, 33 times on Mars, that <laughs> little piece of fabric. There, there's a lot of parallels, by the way, between what our team had to face and what the Wright brothers faced.
0: And just a little update. As I record this, Ingenuity has now flown 38 times on Mars. Balram and Zenetos are still at JPL building insanely cool rotorcraft. But in the summer of 2021, Amazon poached Mimi Ong from NASA, hired her to oversee its plan to launch a constellation of satellites, over 3,000 of them, to provide internet service. But Balram believes that cool, bold projects like Ingenuity are important to NASA's future and to its ability to attract young engineers.
1: It's a very real issue, by the way, in terms of our retention of people, in terms of uh, what we can offer, you know, kids, people go to Amazon or here or there and they build some gadget to deliver uh, a brown box into your doorstep, uh, you know, but they get paid twice as much or something. Right. And Uh, uh, how do you compete with that?
0: Well, the next time you're interviewing someone, you can say. Do you want to engineer something that drops off brown boxes on front porches, or do you want to deliver something to Mars
1: like I did? <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's true. Packages to Mars versus packages to your front doorstep is still the hook, but it doesn't <laughs> mean that we should not be thinking about exciting good ways of making that happen. Hopefully we learn some things from ingenuity and take that into everything else we do.
0: You've just listened to another episode of Unsung Science with David Pogue. Don't forget that the entire library of shows, along with written transcripts, await at unsungscience.com. This podcast is a joint venture of Simon and Schuster and CBS Sunday Morning, and it's produced by PRX Productions. For Simon and Schuster, the executive producers are Richard Rohr and Chris Lynch. The PRX production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Pedro Rafael Rosado and Morgan Church. Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music. Our fact checker is Christina Ribello. And Olivia Noble fixed the transcripts. For more of my stuff, visit davidpogue.com or follow me on Twitter at Pogue. That's P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and follow Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, William. you.